On this Mother's Day, uh, we, have a, we have a special, special treat. My bride, Megan, is going to be sharing the word with me today. So if you could welcome her out to the stage. Um, as she comes out, if you're a... Well, other people are standing now, so... We have been married for 14 years this year, and she teaches me so much about who God is. And uh, every week she's a part of the sermon, and this week she's going to help prepare the sermon, uh, or, or to help share the sermon. Um, if you're a mom in here today, can you stand? We just want to celebrate all the moms who are in the room. Yes. Thank you so much. Mamas, we love you. Nobody will know the sacrifices that you made. Nobody will ever know, but God does. And we say thank you for what we've seen and thank you for what we haven't seen. I also, I want to celebrate you today, Megan. Um, I, being, being, a, being a pastor carries with it um, certain difficulties. Um, difficulties in schedule, difficult in demand. Um, and that's not a complaint. It's something that, that God has called us to. It's something that God has called me to. And, and there's grace for it. But the grace isn't just for me. The grace is also for Megan. So, Andrew, if you could, if you could I just want to celebrate you, Megan. And thank you. Thank you. mamas, we also wanted to honor you today. You are our heroes. Um, I was raised, I was raised by a single mom and I, I saw the, uh, the grit it takes, the perseverance, the faith in really dark circumstances. Um, and I know that this day is bittersweet. You don't have somebody necessarily buying, you have somebody maybe coloring you something, but you don't necessarily have somebody treating you. Um, and we just wanna say that we're with you, we're supporting you, we hope you feel the way we feel that you are family. Um, we went shopping for you, so I'm gonna cry. <laughs> I love you guys. I won't cry during the sermon, I promise. Um, <laughs> This is just single moms. Um, so there's a, something for you at the Connection Center. So if you stop by, we love you. We hope you have a great day. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 37, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to put an emphasis on verse 4. Uh, if you could stand and we'll read this together. Or I'll read it to you. I'll, we could do that too. It's behind us. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 4. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is God's word to us. Father, help us today. Stir our hearts with desire and delight in you so that ultimately you can give us the desires that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
So we're going to be focusing on verse 4, as I said, but you'll see in, verse, in, in the beginning, it, it talked about evildoers and not being envious of wrongdoers, for they're going to fade like the grass. They're basically not going to make it. And, and so I just want to, I'm going to speak to that very quickly. Just, I'm not talking about that mom at the end of your street whose hair is always perfect uh, when we talk about the evildoers. So before you go there in your own... <laughs> Before you go there in your own mind, I just want to steer us away from that. But, uh, but really, that's a warning against comparison that Megan will speak to later. What we're going to do today is we're going to talk about design, delight, and desire. And I'm going to speak to each point, and then Megan's going to share and speak on each of these points as well. So we'll both speak to both points uh, as, we, as we observe this text and we try and capture God's heart for us. Now, this is primarily, and we're going to speak very directly to mamas today. Uh, because it's an extraordinary and unusual task that you've been entrusted with in being a mother. Uh, but if you're not a mother, don't check out. There's certainly something in this for all of us. So, you know, dads, this is for you. Single people, this is for you. Uh, single young men, you, you know, you couldn't be further from where a mom is. <laughs> this is for you. So listen <laughs> carefully. It'll help you appreciate and understand as Megan speaks sometimes directly to the moms, the, the heart and, and soul that your mom has towards you and the struggles that your mom had raising you. And sometimes we, we don't understand that. And so this will give you a glimpse into that if you haven't had it as well. One of the greatest gifts that I had growing up in this church is I was on the sound team forever. My dad, you know, from the time that I was uh, able to, to crawl under a stage and plug something into the correct number. My dad brought me with him yeah. to, to set up and tear down for AV. And then as I got older, I continued in serving in AV. But that also meant going to every single women's conference and every single single women's thing and married conference and everything else. But there was, there was treasure in there for me as I was in there being tortured by, <laughs> by information that I thought was irrelevant. But God, God used that. He deposited it in me for later. So gentlemen, if you don't check out, there's a deposit here for you for later. Okay? You hear me? It's very helpful. Uh, there was this one tea in particular that I remember. I know. And, Which one? And it was about tea. I know. For like you half an hour. super like pained. It was awesome. We knew each other. It wasn't love at first sight, but we knew each other. We knew each other at the yeah. time. And they were like, there are high teas and low teas and it black was, teas and was, green teas. It was beautiful. It's like a Dr. Seuss book on tea. <laughs> So, hey, <laughs> but what I want you to see in these first few verses, what I wanted to do is I just wanted to share those verses. Megan will speak to it later. But we do want to watch out for comparison. But we also want to make sure that when we, when we identify a verse like this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart that we hold it in proper context. And the news only gets better from this verse on. So during your quiet time this week, you could look at Psalm 37 and get excited about how God will never forsake us and his, his plan for us is greater than any plan we could ever come up for ourselves. And so I want to encourage you to look for that. But I, I want to make sure we don't just lift the really happy verses out of Scripture and, and not understand the context that they're in. So this is, this is written by a man. It's written by King David, and he's, he's, wrestling, and he's wrestling with God, and he's, he's saying, okay, I, I see them prospering. I see them doing this thing. And he's like, no, 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 no. Don't get distracted by what's happening over there, but delight yourself in the Lord. And, um, but before he says that, he says that you need to trust in the Lord and do good and dwell in the land. Now, there's something that we need to understand about God and his provision for us, that God created everything and then set man into his creation. It didn't happen that God set man down and man created everything. And sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes we think that way. 
But God creates a land, and then he sets us into the land. And our responsibility in that land is to be faithful. Now, faithfulness in the land that we're in is a difficult and complicated thing because a lot of times we don't like the land that we're in or we don't like the people that are in it. And so God places us somewhere, and we're like, I would much rather place myself with someone else somewhere else. But God has placed you with certain people in a certain place at a certain time, and it's very much on purpose. The same psalmist says, God's boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. And so there's this theme that David has that even in the midst of discomfort, I'm going to recognize that this is a place where God has set me. It's a place where God has placed me and I'm going to look to him so that I can thrive in that place. It speaks to God's design for us. Some, some, uh, as a part of God's design, um, he, he created everything, and everything that he created uh, reflects his glory in some way. And because everything reflects his glory in some way, people start worshiping plants, and they start worshiping trees, and they start worshiping the earth, and they start worshiping animals. If you've ever wondered why people have worshiped animals or why people have worshiped uh, things on the earth or objects that they've made, it's because they're actually, it might be that they're a little more sensitive than you are to the things of God. And they go, there's something, there's something about God in this thing. The problem is what was supposed to be a sign towards something greater became the greater to them. And so what we should do when we see trees, you know, with with beautiful trees, with green leaves and blowing in the wind and stuff like that, after the pollen's gone and the curse has been removed (laughs) and we're fully into the summer seasons, then we can look at those trees and say, man, that is a magnificent tree. And that tree should point our eyes to the Savior. The pollen just reminds us that we live in a fallen world. The big green leaves remind us that redemption's coming for all of us. But it ought to point us somewhere else. So, so sometimes it, worship, it results in worship of things and stuff and places, right? But also the other thing that it does is the, the one thing that God made unlike everything else was man. And he made man in his own image. He made us like him in creativity and emotional and awareness and, and our ability to know and sense and feel things and interact with him in a fresh and unique way. He made man unique and made man in his image so that we could carry his image across the face of the earth. So as man and wife have babies and children and families are formed and families spread and get, ex- extend across the face of the earth and have dominion, it would be his love, his justice, his righteousness, his mercy that would be demonstrated and scattered across the earth. You tracking? Yeah. And so the, the, the obstacle here for us is that we see that man is made in God's image. And then, and then if we're not careful, we'll take the fact that we're made in his image and we'll go, wow, I'm God-like and we'll self-worship. We'll be like, man, I'm awesome. I'm, I'm creative and I'm intelligent and I'm, and I'm this and I'm that. And now look at how great I am. If it's not you that you're worshiping, maybe you'll make an idol out of someone else. Yeah. And be like, wow, they're amazing and they're awesome and they're perfect. And I'm just the ugly duckling. Right? And you could fall there. But even if you move to that place where you refer to yourself as the, uh, ugly, uh, the, as the ugly duckling, it is in its own way as a place of self-worship. If you're the end of the thought, we ought not be the end of the thought. We are to be the beginning of the thought and and a sign that points us towards God. As a part of being made in the image of God, we've got a task. And I alluded to this already. He told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, to let his love and reign and mercy and compassion be known across the face of the planet. 
And then he, reasset, he reasserted this plan with Noah and his, his family. And then he reasserted the promise to Abraham and to Sarah that, he, that they were going to have descendants like the stars. And then, and then Jesus came and through, uh, through Mary and Joseph. And, and Jesus reestablished what family is. And he, and he, and he kicks us off on, this, on the leg of the journey that we're in now. But we, but we see this. And in this, we have certain tasks and we have certain responsibilities. Some of these tasks are easy. Relating to the people that we like. That part's easy. Some of the tasks are easy, like eating. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's pretty easy. Some of the tasks get to be hard. Now it's relating to people that we don't always like. Now it's starting to communicate and maintaining unity and, and, and fighting for unity when unity is not easy. Yeah. And some of the tasks are flat out impossible. Tasks like being a mama. <laughs> and it's impossible or, or near impossible because we're all sinners. And so what we have is someone who has sinned trying to raise someone who's sinning. Right? And a person who sins, raising a person who sins is a recipe for difficulty. Isn't it? Now, you don't have to, you don't have to think long before you realize that kids, um, you know, you're like, but kids are so cute. And they are. They're precious. And they're also sinners. <laughs> It's both. All you got to do is babysit a kid for about a minute and a half, and, and you'll realize it. And, um, and so, uh, Megan, if you, if you could speak to design. So I do think motherhood is probably one of the most impossible things on earth. Um, my daughter's here. She actually coached me on this. My nine-year-old coached me, so she vetted this. Done on her own, I think motherhood is exhausting, it's, it's an effort of trying to work hard enough and long enough to produce results that we really can't produce on our own. To have kids be smart enough, somehow good enough at sports, have Pinterest-worthy birthday parties and lunch boxes, and that somehow validate that we're doing a good job. And it's exhausting because the to-do lists will never end, and the mommy guilt is super real. And we'll talk about that at the end. So let's talk about something really happy first. One of the designs of motherhood is to display the attributes of God to a broken and fallen world. The attributes of God are descriptors and characteristics that are inherent to him in ways that we can start to describe an infinite, incomparable God. The attributes of God are things like love, kindness, sovereignty, omniscience, omnipresence, Mothers were meant to be the first place that children experienced those attributes of God, both as a means of his grace and to prepare them for seeing God as those things. Now, don't stress, moms. We're not <laughs> supposed to do it perfectly. We're like, we're supposed to represent the attributes of God? What? I'm stressed. Like, I was already stressed and tired. No, we don't do it perfectly. Thank goodness. We are the imperfect, cracked mirror that dimly reflects the glory of God, but we do. We do this by realizing that Jesus lived the perfect life so we don't have to, that Jesus has said you are accepted and loved just the way you are today, and he has promised he will never leave or forsake us. Motherhood in Jesus is daily reliance on God's grace that he really has given you more than you can handle, and that it has driven you to your knees in prayer. He does. The other one's a lie. He really does give you more. Um, it's recognizing that he's called and equipped you for this, that this is the big thing, that you're going to do other things, but this is probably the most important thing you ever do. 
and that he's never going to leave you in the midst of it. In terms of design, it's also one of the greatest ways you'll fulfill the Great Commission. When he says, go and make disciples for moms, we get like an audience that can't leave. <laughs> like we get like three little kids that like if we say we want to have a Bible study, they can be like, no, I'm leaving. You're like, well, do you want dinner? Sit down. We're having a Bible study. <laughs> this is me. Um, motherhood and parenting were never designed to be done by one or two people alone. It was designed to be done with God and in community. So now David's going to talk about delight. That with God and community is huge, uh, especially in a culture like ours, where even once we come to a relationship with God, our tendency is to build walls around that and say it's me and God and, and everybody else is, is over there. But that wasn't God's design or God's plan from the very beginning. It's that we, would, that we would do it together, that we would, as families, raise one another. There's an African proverb that we're all familiar with that it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. We've all heard that. But, uh, in, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, not, it's not just an African idea. It's a Christian idea. It's a Christian idea, and we, we ought to begin to be able to adopt this, that when, when one of our family members has a baby, that I can encourage and support mom and dad as I encourage and support their child, and as I cheer them on through it, and I cheer them on in it. There's nothing like being a new parent to recognize how absolutely desperate you are to have people doing this with you, <laughs> right? Like, you know, it, it's like it, you, you think, you think you, you're never really ready. It's like being ready to get punched in the face. Right? So it's kind of like, I'm ready. And then you have this baby, this beautiful little child that doesn't sleep but two and a half hours at a time. And it will really not, they eat every two and a half hours. So they're sleeping for an hour and 15 minutes and you're changing their diaper and feeding them for the rest of the time around the clock. And it's, it's exhausting. And so I want to acknowledge just how absolutely exhausting it is. But I think that's one of the things that God built into this process to make us remember our dependence both for him and for help. So as we, think about, um, as we think about what it means to delight in God, David continues from that place where he's like, so we've been designed for this certain thing, and we haven't been designed to do it on our own. We've been designed to do it with and filled with God. And that's really the only way that we can represent him well anyway, is if he's the one representing himself through us. Um, it means not just being near or around God, but absolutely beginning to delight in Him. The work that we've, called, we've been called to do is, is, not, is not easy. And in raising a child, it's, it's like controlling someone, someone else. You can give good information, but you can't make them make the right decision. And we felt that at work, even if you're not a parent, where you've tried to encourage someone to do something, and you've seen them do the opposite. Welcome to parenthood. But it's a, it's a struggle. It's, it's uh, somebody wants, you know, they use the example of herding cats. It's, it's like herding cats to get children to do what you, what, you, what you want them to do. It's difficult to move them in the right direction. And so it's fraught with opportunities for disappointment, for frustration, and for, for <laughs> anger and depression and sorrow. And just kind of like, why can't I accomplish this thing that we need? And we set ourselves up for disappointment. If we look for that thing, for people doing what we want them to do or doing it how we want them to do it and the time that we want to do it, we, look, we, we risk great disappointment if we look for those things to be our satisfaction. 
Uh, it's people, I, I had the privilege one time of meeting someone, uh, a gentleman who owned an NBA basketball team. And I was talking to this man because his life was, it was actually kind of, it was messy. And, and we were talking and this guy has more money than I have, like more dollar signs. Well, it doesn't even matter. Then he, he's, there were more zeros, more commas in his, there were more commas in his bank account than I had zeros in mine, <laughs> including cents. Right? And so he, he was very, very wealthy. And we were talking, and he's, he's experiencing this place of difficulty. And, and it's like, well, you know, tell me about what's going on. And he's basically got all this money, and he's like, it's empty. Yeah. It's empty. And I'm like, yeah, but just a little bit of it, right? <laughs> he made it all the way up there where, he, where he, you can find his house on Google Maps. It's like, it's like the size of the high school. and Not really, but... But if we look for anything in this world to be our complete satisfaction, we're setting ourselves up for great disappointment. Yeah. And that includes parenthood. Uh, that includes really every next thing that we're looking to to define us. Um, if you're single, it's like, yeah, I'll just get married. And then that'll define me and I'll be satisfied in my marriage. <laughs> there were no amens. Because y'all are smart, smart on Mother's Day. <laughs> but when, but it, that is the re, that, that's the reality of the fact. And if you're married and you're, expect, you're wanting kids and you think that having a kid is going to be that thing, or maybe you're unemployed and you think the job is going to be the thing that gives you satisfaction. You got a little bit of money, it's going to be more money that gives you satisfaction. And all of those things lead to dissatisfaction because God has created in us an insatiable hunger for for, uh, for meaning and for significance and for purpose that can't be met with anything that's not itself eternal. Yeah. It's this insatiable hunger. And so the only thing that can fill this insatiable hunger is something that can never be fully plumbed. And the only person, the only thing that can be never fully plumbed is God himself. And we ought to delight in him because he's the place that we can find our greatest satisfaction. So I love the progression as we get to delight in this verse. Um, I love how King David cautions us not to envy and get distracted with comparison. And then he throws us into trust in God and then we land in delight. So I was meditating on this, like the progression, like what, what's there for us? And so this fair paraphrase popped into my head this week, so I'll read it. This is how the Holy Spirit speaks to me, so don't judge. <laughs> don't worry or envy when that Facebook friend posts pictures of their brand new car. Don't stress at how Pinterest-worthy your kid's birthday party was or how Instagram-worthy your vacations or dinners out are. Yeah. Trust in the Lord. Trust Him for the little. Trust Him for the big and do good. Don't just believe, but let your faith move you to action. Instead of turning to Netflix and online shopping, it's just me, I'm being real. Turn your heart to Him and savor who He is and let him fill you with joy, and he will supernaturally place his desires in my heart. So that's what that verse meant for me. And I just meditated on it because I love King David, I feel like was such, um, he knew the human heart. And God, I think, allowed him to see the human heart through some really hard circumstances. But doesn't, isn't that our heart? we looking back and forth, and we're like, I'm not comparing. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just looking. 
kind of. Anyway, I love it. I get excited because God, I see her, is inviting us to put away a life of striving and comparison, and he's inviting us into a rich and sweet contentment right where we are. In the messy, in the flawed, he's inviting us to be content. Charles Spurgeon defined delighting in the Lord as savoring every name, attribute, word, or deed God has done the way a connoisseur enjoys fine delicacies. So I was thinking about how they do that, and I've seen a few people, I'm not a connoisseur, I'm a connoisseur of coffee, but um, I've seen some people enjoy food that they really knew a lot about, and they look at it, and it's funny, they'll like turn it over and like tap on it, and I'm like, they look at it, they smell it, sometimes they lick it, and then they usually take a tiny bite and leave it in their mouth and just wait. Because what ends up, and I'm a musician, so I understand the music part of this, it ends up playing something on your taste buds. And you taste different things first, and then it plays, and you might taste cocoa, and then you might taste citrus, and then you might taste like a mellow butteriness. And so I was thinking, like, what does it mean to think about the attributes of God or what he's done like that? How do I take the places of his faithfulness or even sound like an attribute of God, like he is sovereign. How do I look at God being sovereign, tap it, smell, like what does the word say? What is the fragrance of what the word is saying about God being sovereign? And then just like let it sit like on my heart and my mind, but not move off of it. Because I think a lot of times I'm, I get intellectual and I'm like, well, I need to know more. It's like I need to know. But what, what Spurgeon's saying here is that Delighting is not an intellectual exercise. This is an exercise of the heart. That's where when we savor the goodness of God or an attribute of God, what happens is we're over here and it produces something. It, the, um, the Hebrew word is to make your heart happy. It actually makes your heart joyful. And then what David's going to talk about is over here, something begins to happen that you have no control over. Yeah. This exchange takes place. So where, where you're just like, this tastes good. God, you are good, and you are faithful. And my kids are crazy, but you are faithful. <laughs> and, but that exchange takes place, and, we, and it, it does something to our faith. It builds our faith. It encourages our faith. So I just loved that example. So, um, so if you could, uh, with kids, uh, it's, it can be difficult, whether your kids are drawing on the walls and taking their dirty diaper off and throwing it down the stairs. It just happened. Or, or they're, they're teenagers and they're acting a fool and they're coming home late and they think that they're king of the home. They think they're king of the community. Can you, can you give an example of how, how you would do that? Okay, so one of the things, um, just hypothetically. <laughs> just hypothetically. Hypothetically. Not that any of us. Are for right. them. For them. They for need them. it. They need help. Oh, we have stories. Um, one of the things that stands out to me is my stories of God's faithfulness. Like one quick story, um, when we first got married, um, we got married super young, we were in college, our entire apartment was hand-me-downs. And it was hilarious. It was like, it was like a thrift store threw up into our house. Um, for real. It was like 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, all the furniture, but like from all the decades. Nothing matched. That's true. It was really, it was really awful. Um, but awesome. So one, we had a really tiny kitchen table, and our small group had grown, and we had a pretty big uh, young adult small group. 
in this little apartment. And I think I half wanted a new kitchen table because we hosted a lot. And I half wanted another kitchen table just because I wanted a new kitchen table, just for real. Um, and so I started praying. And it was like the first time I prayed for something that wasn't a real need. It was just a want. We had a kitchen table. It was fine. It worked. But I started praying. I just kind of, and it was like a secret prayer. I didn't tell anybody. You know, when you're like, I'm too embarrassed to tell someone that I'm praying for a kitchen table. I was like, I'm praying for a kitchen table. Don't tell anybody, God. Um, so seriously, not even 10 days later, somebody called and said, hey, I bought this beautiful dining room set from Haverty's. We never used it. We're moving. Do you want it? Amen. Yeah. And for me, I was like, no way. <laughs> because for me, I really felt like God was like, I hear your heart, but no. Like, or like, why are you praying for that? That's stupid. Um, this is my relationship with God. Um, but it was a, it was one of those moments. So I sat there 10 days later in our little apartment and everything else did look like it was a thrift store. But I looked at the dining room table that was gorgeous and nobody had ever touched it. It was beautiful. And I was scared because we had kids. So I was like, this is going to be bad. But uh, in that moment, it's one of those moments, those breathtaking moments of God's, uh, abundant provision where he doesn't have to he didn't have to we had a kitchen table we were fine but sometimes he just lavishes his love on us and he just surprises us david and i will talk about it like it's like a god wink where he he's just like i got you like just in case you were wondering i got you and um we all have stories and so for me delighting in those dark moments is going back to a story and savoring it like that connoisseur like letting it sit and not just being like, oh yeah, God provided a table, but like remembering what it felt like for God to know the desire of my heart and orchestrate everything to satisfy it. And like, he didn't even tell my husband, David called me. He's like, I know we probably don't want a table, but like somebody's asking if we want it. I'm like, this is crazy. So anyway, just savoring it pulls me out of stuff is still dark in that moment, but your faith is built. So yeah. yeah. Amen. <laughs> you know what I just remembered about that table uh, is that it was awful to bring home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That'll preach what you prayed for. Yeah. You prayed for it. <laughs> That's a good sermon. Everybody say, and. Yes. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the de- desires of your heart. This word and, I love, I love these connecting words in the Bible, the ones that cause us to look previously, but the ones that connect ideas. Sometimes it's really, really encouraging, and sometimes it can be discouraging because <laughs> you're like, and you'll die, and you're like, oh, no, <laughs> and you're like, you'll cross it up. Maybe you'll die, <laughs> but this and, it, it, it's, a, it's a guarantee. It's saying that if this, then this. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's him giving us the desire that is the emphasis of this verse. Now, sometimes we think that it starts with my desire. And if I delight myself in God, he'll give me what it was that I desired. But what's happening here is a little bit different as we approach God and we delight in him. There's, a, there's an exchange that takes place that Megan talked about where it's the thing that I first wanted. God saying, good idea, but not what I have for you. I want to give you this instead. Yeah. 
you start by saying, I think this is the direction that I'm going. God, let me delight in you and remember your goodness and, and be a connoisseur of your love and your grace and your mercy towards me. Let me enjoy that presence. And then all of a sudden, your desire starts to shift and it starts to morph. And then all of a sudden, you start desiring something that you didn't desire before. Sometimes it's the very thing that you never desired in the first place. Yeah. And it's the thing that you swore off and that you'd never want. But now you, you feel yourself longing for that thing to serve God in this way because it's what God has for you. And what's so extraordinary about God giving us a desire is that he doesn't give us a desire to treat, tease us or to trick us or to take us off somewhere so that he can make a fool out of us. He, makes us, he gives us desires so that it, 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 it highlights and accentuates the delight that we have in him as we anticipate receiving the thing that he wanted us to have in the first place. You following? Yeah. Too many words? <laughs> so as we delight in him, the and is that he's going to do it. The promise is as good as the promiser. And the promiser in this case gave his life as an assurance and rose from the dead as the seal that he'll come through on everything he ever promised he would do. And so we can walk with great assurance and great confidence because Jesus, our king, the one who promises all of these things in the first place, the one who promises that as we delight in him, that he'll give us desires and he'll satisfy desires. That comes later. But he's the one who's going to do it. And he's the one who's overcome every other obstacle that's ever been. Yeah. And so the obstacle of getting a table is a small thing. The obstacle or the change of, of working through that marriage that you asked for, that God gave you a desire for and a longing for, and now that you're in, he'll help you manage that. He'll help you steward that. He'll help you walk in the fullness of that according to his goodness because it was his desire in the first place. The thing about desire is it, it's, so, it's so closely tied to our dreams. And so if you're like, hey, what is it that I desire? You could ask yourself, what is it that I'm dreaming for? And the things that we dream for, the things that we desire are often a far less quality value or quality level than the, the dream or the desire that God has for us and wants for us to have. Because our desires are built based on what we've experienced or based on what we can imagine. But God can do far more abundantly than we could ever think or imagine. So he's capable of giving us a desire for something that we've never seen. He's giving us an appetite for something that we could never imagine. He's giving us an appetite or a dream for something that's never existed before, that you never thought was possible for you before, but now it's possible because he's preparing you for something that he wants to do in spite of the fact that you didn't think you were worthy of it or you could, you could, you could hold it for yourselves. And so that's the problem with our dreams is it's built on what we know and what we can imagine and what we think is coming. But what's great about God's desires and the desires that he's going to give us, it's, it's preparing us for a time that we don't know. It's preparing us for a future that we don't understand. And it's preparing us for needs that we don't know about yet and we haven't even imagined yet. It's preparing us for goodness that we've never even tasted or even dare imagined yet. And that's the beauty of the desire that God gives us when we're in him. And so as you, as mothers, if I could speak to the mothers very briefly, 
to say that the desires that God has put in your heart that haven't been fully expressed because you've been changing diapers and you've been shuttling your kid around to soccer practices and, and <laughs> you've been nursing and you had to step out of the, work, the workplace or you couldn't take that promotion or you couldn't do that thing, but God has placed a desire in your heart. That desire is not dead. It will be fulfilled at a later time, but you are doing a great, an extraordinary thing for your child, for this community, for this city, for the country, for the world to raise your child the way that he should be raised raised or he should be raised. It's this wrestling that that I've seen even in my own bride of like, I've got this huge dream, but I've got these big heavy diapers on my child as well. And if I change this diaper, I've got to say no to this dream right now. But if the dream is from God, it will be fully fulfilled and you won't miss it because you've taken time on this family thing. Okay. Not a lot of claps. It's okay because it's hard. It is hard. But as we delight, it becomes easier. As we delight, God fuels us with the faith and the energy and the strength necessary to do the work that he's set before us right now so that the fullness of the dream could be realized at a later time. The Psalm, thir- uh, uh, Proverbs 31, Megan and I talked about this a lot. You know, it's kind of overwhelming for a woman to read Psalms 31. And we're like, the virtuous woman does everything. <laughs> She does all the things, and we read it in one sitting, and so we're like, she does them all at the same time. She's running her house. She's training her kids. Her feet don't leave the house, but her feet are always out starting these new businesses and making money for her family, and she sold this property, and she sold this, and she exchanged this, and she's always happy. It's not, it's not actually what Proverbs 31 says. But that's you, what we hear. You want, a, you want a recipe for not happy, do it all at the same time and then try and, try and be happy. But God will satisfy that. Um, and then uh, in relation to our, your dream for your kids, mamas, God's dream for your kid is greater than anything that you could dream up for yourself. God's heart for your kid is more extraordinary, more loving, more gracious, and more able to satisfy, uh, God's, uh, to satisfy your longing for significance more so than anything that you can create on your own. God's dream for you and your children is far greater than what you can create. And that's the beautiful part of this delighting, is that as we delight in God, as we relate closely to him, as we savor his presence, as you savor his presence. The thing about savoring is nobody can do it for you. Mm-hmm. Megan was talking about that food. And if you ever watch somebody enjoy, enjoy something and you're like, it looks tasty. <laughs> I want it. But you can't have it. Yeah. Through their experience, it's something that you have to do for yourself. And so as you savor the goodness and the, and, and the love and the mercy, the compassion, the greatness of our God, He'll satisfy you in a way that he can't satisfy you if other people are the ones savoring. And he'll give you a dream that's bigger than any dream that you could have for yourself. Um, you know, one of the things for our kids in, uh, is that, you know, you've got you've to make some decisions as, as, you, as you raise a child. And, you know, we all want our kids to fit in and to be cool and to be strong and to be the smartest and to be the, to be the best at all, at, at all things. And there's this temptation, especially in our area, where, we, where we've got time to think about it. You know, as busy as we think we are, we're not walking to the river to get water. As busy as we think we are, we're not hunting for the food 
-hmm. and, you know, for days and weeks at a time and, and dragging it back into camp and, and hoping that we're going to make it. And so we've got, we've got time. We just fill it up with driving all over the place and all these activities that aren't really survival necessary. Um, but as we, um, as we want all these things for our kids, as we desire all these things for our kids, we can begin to set up a dream for them that wasn't really God's dream for them. And in the same way Proverbs 31, woman can't do all things at the same time. You can't emphasize all things at the same time. And so there was a really interesting transition that happened as we delighted in the Lord. God gave us different desires for our children than what we started with when we, be, when we first had them. We first had them, and we had certain desires for them. And, you know, as we're parents longer, our hearts are more tuned to this, and we're more aware of it. But we start with, you know, you hold your first one, and you're like, you're definitely the president of the world. <laughs> Not just the United States. I don't know how you're going to do it. It's you blow my mind. You're going to be the president of the world. Yeah. All of it. And then your next one, you're like, you're going to be the president of the whole galaxy <laughs> because your sister's going to make a way for you, and this is going to be awesome. <laughs> and you guys are going to do everything right, and gee, this is great. But as we delighted in the Lord, one of the things that happened is we decided that the greatest dream that God has for them is that they would be lovers of God. Yeah. And that our kids would be lovers of God. And as they are lovers of God, and as they learn to delight in God, as we model delighting in God and allowing God to give us the desires of our heart and chasing after him and giving our hearts and giving our lives to God, as we model that for our children, that they would learn to live that way, that they would desire God and they would long for his presence and they would savor his goodness. And then God would give them the desire of their heart. And what God's dream would be for them is going to be greater than the dream that we could have for them. And so it turns out to be the greater thing not to force our dream on them, but to introduce them to God's dream for them by teaching them to savor the presence of God in their own life. Yeah. And that's how it works on this Mother's Day. That as we delight in God and he gives us desires of our heart, that you'll be richly satisfied as he increases the dream that he has for you in your own heart, but also in your little ones as well. So just a couple of thoughts about... Um about desire and dreams. I was thinking about the, I was reading the, um, studying the Hebrew for what it means for God to place the desires in our heart. And the word uh, place is the same word in Hebrews that is used in Genesis when God placed the stars in the sky. And um, it means intricately and intentionally set in. And that's the way God will set the dreams in. It's not like he, throw, it's not like he opens up a fire hydrant of like all these dreams and you're just gonna get hit with like all the potential. I, I was struck by the intentionality and the uniqueness that God does it. And he does it so specifically for us that when we delight at the very moment, he is not too busy, he's not distracted, but he's ready. When we delight, he's ready to set that dream and desire in your heart with the same intentionality he set the stars in the sky. And that is our God. We could never be that big. Even saying that, I'm like, that's a, that, I don't understand how he could, but he does. So for me, it's just built my faith that like, I see my part and his part. I wanna be faithful to do my part because I recognize that this I could never do. I can't set the right desires in my heart like that. I can't go find what is wise and best and what's, what are we here for? You know, answer that question, but I can delight in him. 
I can savor his goodness. I can remember an attribute of God and let it sit on the top of my heart and go, wow, you are good, and trust him to do this part. So I just loved that. Um, I love that the ball is in our court, and it's just such a clear, and um, his yoke is easy. Like, delighting in the Lord is not an awful thing. Like, this is a beautiful thing to get invited into. I just loved that. I, lo- I really believe that God's inviting us today to set aside comparison and just to delight in him. I have one thought I wanted to share in closing about mommy guilt. I was thinking about this last night. I really feel like mommy guilt, um, so guys, just bear with me. Mommy guilt is real. It's a real thing. I'll tell you about it later. Um, it stems from our felt inability to prepare our kids for the dreams that we've dreamt for them and for the massive potential we see in them because we see that they can accomplish so much. Mommy guilt at its core screams that we're not enough. The reality is that we really aren't. The reality is that we are never enough, but God is. And I really feel like um, in my journey, delighting has been the antidote to mommy guilt. That when I'm not enough or I experience an epic mommy fail, like this morning I got into our van and it smells like something died. Something probably did. Like, but we're, so we're dressed for church and I got my little notes and like I did my hair and oh my gosh, I got in the van and I thought, I think a chipmunk crawled in here and died or something. Or it's probably like a milkshake. I don't know. You guys know. So, epic mommy fail. I was like, oh. But in those moments where you're like, this is my life, um, I turn and I meditate on his goodness. Anything. Pick something. Something he's done or something that he is. And I savor it. And he will give me his desire even for this season. So I tried it this morning on the way here. I was like, let's test this, right? So I was like, God, you are so good and you are so faithful. You're so good and you're so faithful. And I felt like his desire, my desire for a good smelling van and my life to not be a mess was there. But then God switched it. And it was, you're going to miss this season. You're going to miss it. You're going to, see, I'm going to cry again. You're going to miss these days when you walked in and your van smelled like something had died because it was somebody's soccer socks and a milkshake and probably a chipmunk. It's probably all of them. It's so gross. But, so, but literally, this morning, I was like, I want a van that can go on Pinterest because what if my friend gets into it? Like, you know, we have this, like, we just, and you don't want your life to be a mess. But God's desire, he flipped it. And it, it wasn't even like I had to surrender that initial desire. He erased it. It's like he flipped it. He was like, but they're treasures, and you're going to miss it. And I was like, oh, you're right. So in those moments, we just can treasure. The other thing about uh, mommy guilt is he is the perfect parent. I am who God wanted my kids to have, and he is going to be their perfect parent. He's always, he's going to always come through. He's going to fill in the gaps. So we can just treasure that and just treasure that we are that broken mirror that is dimly but beautifully reflecting his glory to our babies. Can you, can you just, can you just pray, pray yeah. for all the mamas? Yeah. God, we just pray your blessing over the moms, the moms of little ones, teenagers, adult children. God, we pray your blessing over them. Today we honor them. 
God, we thank you for their sacrifice, and we pray that you would, that as they delight themselves in you, you would give them your desires. And God, I just pray for the unspoken desires of these women's hearts, that you would meet them today. In Jesus' name, amen. God, we ask that you would lift the weary heart. Yes. That you would remove burdens of guilt or shame or insufficiency. God, make that exchange. Even right now in this moment, I ask that lightness would come to the hearts and minds of the moms in this room. God, even for people who aren't mothers this morning, who, who came in with heavy burdens, I ask that you, would, that you would meet them right now in that place. That you would affirm the love that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. And then for all of us, I, I, I know that the idea of delighting can sound difficult if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And, and the obstacles are plentiful. It could be that church hurt. It could be that you didn't feel like God came through for you in another time. Or it could be that, that you, don't, you don't quite understand or trust yet. And what I want to do is I want to I just pray a prayer of, uh, for us who are in those kind of places that... We would be, because here's the promise, is that Jesus died and rose from the dead, not just to do a magic trick, but so that we could relate to God. And he basically, he made a way for us to relate. He erased the red tape. He erased the line. He erased the, he erased the obstacle of your own insufficiency. He erased the, the, the line of your own sinfulness. He erased the line of his, of, of, well, I guess he affirmed the line of his righteousness by dying in our place but he makes it possible for us to step across and to know him, not just to know him, but the light in him. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would give us the courage to draw near to you as you've already made a way, that we would trust you with our hearts, that we would trust you with our minds, we would trust you with our lives, that we would consider your plan greater than our plan and we would consider your ways to be greater than our ways. God, we, we surrender the right to try and build our way to you and we receive instead the gift of, of nearness that you've given us in Jesus Christ. If there's anybody here today that, that you, you feel like, man, I need to return to Jesus or I want to come to Jesus for the first time, can you raise your hand? See that hand. Pray with me if you raise your hand. Jesus, I feel your drawing. And today, I receive your love. I receive your mercy. I receive your forgiveness. I ask that you would fill me with your Fill me with your love and your grace and give me the courage to follow you, to live for you, and learn to delight in you. In Jesus' name, amen.